eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 264 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Scott has a, a tweet that went viral, and that'll be talked about in his opening shift. Uh, but before we do anything, we have... I think this is how we should start every podcast, is just applauding my Twitter use. Well, <laughs> of course. We, we would, but I think this episode, we have a we have a better way to start. And, and I'm going to... I'm going to pass the baton off to to lovely Bridget here, and she's going to go on a rant. What about <laughs> – I'll let her. I'll let her explain. Yeah, I, I said right when we first connected this morning, I would like to take my opening shift and just use it to rant about the officiating in the NHL because it is awful this year. And I just – I don't even know where to start. How many blown calls were there in, in yesterday's Bruins game? It was ridiculous. It felt like it got worse as the game went on. And this whole entire road trip, it felt like more than 50% of the calls were questionable or wrong. Uh, It's hard to watch when it's that bad. And it, it frustrates me even more because I broadcast college hockey and I think they get it right there. And I don't know where the NHL is failing. Is it from the top down? Like, is there someone that doesn't just tell, doesn't go over with the officials? This is what a hook should look like. This one wasn't a hook. Like you need to show examples. You need to have a constant line of communication from the person who's in charge of officiating and to get that information disseminated to all of your officials. I don't know if they're hiring the wrong people. I don't know if they're just not explaining it correctly, but the calls are wrong often. Even on even after review, they're still wrong. And it should just be much more cut and dry. The rules in the rules book say they explain it how you need to call it. And that's just not what happens in the NHL for some reason. And 
like I mentioned, in college hockey, there's a guy named Brian Murphy. He just got inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. He's the head of officiating for Hockey East, which is the conference I see the most. And they feel like they get it right like 80% of the time, 90% of the time. And the NHL feels less than that. And I don't know if they need Brian Murphy to come in and really straighten out. Like They feel like they need someone to come in and straighten it out because it's gotten really bad. Yeah, I think there's, and especially as it relates to Saturday night's game in particular, there's a lot to get into because the the Bruins end up winning uh, 4-3 in overtime, which is great. That game really probably should have been over in regulation if it wasn't for a couple of bad calls that, you know, I know we're going to get into more. Um, my opening shift, so we'll get into that game more, but my opening shift relates to uh, another story from Saturday and that. Uh, that Brian referenced. Um, Jeremy Swayman was named an all-star for the first time on Saturday. He was one of four goalies to get voted in by fans, which is great. Uh, Normally an all-star selection wouldn't be opening shift material for me because I honestly don't particularly care about the all-star game. Uh, What I do care about is what Jeremy Swayman said after the game when he was asked about what it meant uh, to be an all-star. And he said, you know, he can't do without his teammates. He credited the Bruins for being a defensively structured team. Uh, said, you know, all, all the usual things in All-Star says, can't do without my teammates, all that. Then the second half of his answer, unprompted, he says, but yeah, after dealing with what I did this summer with arbitration, hearing things that a player should never hear, it feels pretty special to be in this situation. And my antenna immediately went up and I was like, huh, that's interesting that, you know, you're you're an all-star for the first time in, in your career, and one of the first things that comes to mind that you, you say when asked about it is going back to your arbitration hearing from the summer, um, which we know he's been on the record in the past of uh, he really hated that process. He said he would never want to go through it again. He would never want any of his friends or teammates to go through it. Uh, he said, he, um, you know, he has also been on the record of saying he wants – to remain in Boston and he's glad he eventually got a deal done and all that. Um, but clearly it's still on his mind if he's going to that while talking about being an all-star. And I just think the, the fact that he said it and potential ramifications of what it might signal as far as his next contract negotiations is really interesting and something that we can get into more. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, I like both of your opening shifts. There's, there's definitely, um, an issue with officiating in the National Hockey League. And, and Bridget, you mentioned college hockey and how it's much better. And I think there's a reason for it. And we could definitely get into that as well. Scott, yeah, um, a lot of me on that bone too. It's very curious comments from Swayman. Um, was it just him being transparent with the media, just not realizing where the comments could be taken? Or is there something behind it? Maybe some strategic um, levels behind it? I don't know. Uh, we'll get into that. For me, um, look, the Bruins this year, nobody expected them to be first place in the Eastern conference uh, at the midway point, especially, I just think last year they were their 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 roster was so talented, so deep. They were up against the cap over the cap. It wasn't for, you know, injury reserve issues. There was just a sense of like, they're not going to be as good. They were still going to be competitive, but not as good. And 
make no mistake about it. No Bergeron, no Krejci. Like you lose a bunch of guys. It's a tra- it's it's a transition year for, for for this Bruins team. How many how many franchises can in in a in a hard cap era like be first place in a conference in a transition year? And I just think that that is oftentimes lost when we're when we're watching these games and we're looking at their deficiencies and you know we see where they are in the standings, but we don't necessarily believe that's where they should be just from the eye test and the analytics that back it up. Sometimes um, this team's not perfect. They're in, tra- it's a transition year for them and they're still in first place. So I think it's just an opportunity to, um, you know, applaud the players and, and, and management um, for going out. We, I think Scott coined them the Moneyball Bruins at one point earlier this year. And in, in, in a lot of areas, they are the Moneyball Bruins. It's, and it's, um, Again, like how many teams could say that in a transition year, they're first in their conference? It's does that mean that we think the Bruins are Stanley Cup contenders? I don't know. We all think there's some work to be done, but halfway through the season, I just think it's it's worth being like maybe we need to recognize we shouldn't a lot of Bruins fans like they're 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 hard on the Bruins. They they critique every single play, every single game, every single mistake, and seem to not applaud the the good things all the time. But here we are. They're in first place, I guess. Just enjoy it and and uh, appreciate that they're doing a lot with a lesser roster and than many teams. Yeah, and they and the thing is, is like you look around the league, and I would say especially in the Eastern Conference, and there's no like singularly dominant team. So even though we sit here and say, yeah, the Bruins are flawed, and maybe they're a piece or two away from being a quote unquote true contender. I think a lot of teams in the East are saying the same thing and, and might even need more than a piece or two. And, you know, the, the team that looks the best certainly recently would be the Florida Panthers who had a nine game winning streak before losing to New Jersey on Saturday. Um, and, you know, we know what they did in the playoffs last year. Most of that team's back. They arguably even got better on defense. So I, I would still point to the Panthers as the team to beat, but you know, it's not like they were, it's not like they've been on fire all season. Like they got hot, really hot recently. They had some issues before that. Um, Bruins are, have still managed to stay ahead of them for the time being. Now it's totally possible that the Panthers just go on a great run and pull away in the second half. And they're the number one overall seed. But even then, like I wouldn't expect the Bruins to fall much further than second, third, fourth in the conference. Like they're, they're clearly a, a really good team and they've they've hit a couple tough stretches and have bounced back and they you know this road trip we can kind of get into what we think of this road trip overall because they lose three out of four games which you look at and say well that's not very good but they still got five out of eight points every single game went to overtime I thought they finished it with their best game of the trip they were pretty dominant the second and third periods against St. Louis, especially at five on five, the blues did get two power play goals to to tie into Bridget's opening shift uh, on two power plays that I don't think they deserved. One was a a slash by Brad Marchant. I had to figure out which way I had to move, move my fingers in front of my camera there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um that was like barely a love tap on the gloves. It was really just a stick on stick work. And then Hampus Lindholm gets called for interference when Kasperi Kapanen just flops, like skates right into Lindholm and then flops to the ice. 
and Lindholm goes for interference. And it's like, that has to at least be both. And honestly, that would have been a situation where I would be okay with only the two on Kapanen for diving. But at the very least, it's both. Like, if you call interference an embellishment and move on. But that was pretty embarrassing. And the Blues scored on both those power plays. So if you if you don't have that, if you don't have the refs just straight up not doing their job correctly, it's over in regulation. They also missed Jesper Boquist getting hooked in the slot on, like, a grade-A scoring chance with – under three minutes left. So um, what did you think of the review of the second, what would have been he's, he's a second goal. I thought they got it right. I thought he was just barely off sides. Um, Razor seemed to think they got it wrong in the intermission. I don't know if you happened to. Well, so I don't, yeah, I heard, I don't know if Razor was necessarily saying they got it wrong. I think Ra- Razor's point and one I, I don't know if I totally agree with him, but I, I like I'm open to it. I think his point was more that there should be like a little bit of leeway where if it's almost simultaneous, it it isn't really affecting the play and it should just be let go. Um, you know, I get I, I'm not really totally with him on that. I think you're you're either offside or you're not. In this case, it's in the direct build up to the goal, so even though it's very close. He's offsides and it's no goal. Yeah, it was um, like what four seconds before the goal. It was like immediately. Yeah, it's it's on the exact rush that he scores on. Yeah, but yeah, no. But but yeah, yeah that I mean that was a that was a bailout for the Bruins because that's a play that shouldn't happen. I mean, Shattenkirk just loses Hayes on a stretch pass from below the Blues goal line, and then I, th- I thought Swayman probably should have made a save on that. He was pretty good the rest of the night, and that ultimately doesn't count against him, but. Um, yeah, it was just kind of like a snapper from the dot that beat him glove side. Yeah, and that was a that was a crazy long distance pass, and Hayes was just in behind everyone. Uh, caught the Bruins kind of sleeping a little bit, and that changed the game completely because at, once the Bruins won that challenge, it kind of the momentum really did shift into their favor, and they they played well after that. Um, kind of woke them up maybe that they were about to lose uh go down uh a goal and um they played better after that i don't know where what direction you guys want to go in first because i'm actually really interested to talk about the swayman stuff um that's the opening shift that i'm wanting to expand on a little bit more so um obviously it's great that swayman made the all-star game and i think his comments scott about the arbitration and 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 about how, you know, they, they didn't treat him like an all-star is what he was getting at. He was treat. He feels like they said things to him, like you're not worth X amount. You're not good enough to be this. Um, and so it has affected him. Maybe it's motivated him to play better. It, it, sometimes that's what happens. Like I had an old boss who the more he was mean to me, the better I did just to spite him. Um, sometimes that's how people get motivated, but uh, his comments coming in like such a positive moment for him where he's he's talking about being an all-star just show you how much it really bothered him that arbitration process where you got to imagine Don Sweeney or whomever was negotiating was saying oh no you're not worth that you're not one of the best goalies in the league and he's thinking I am one of the best goalies in the league look I'm an all-star um, so not only does it have to do with the past negotiations, I think Brian, you maybe alluded this a little bit 
it might it might be foreshadowing the upcoming negotiations as well. Yeah, I mean, is it? I guess the question is, um, simply put, is is there something the Bruins need to be worried about? Is there is there truly a a, a rip in the relationship at all going forward? Did did now? I believe it was Swayman who initiated the arbitration in the first place. Correct, Scott? Yeah, he was one yeah, of five for it. Yeah, they were they were so far off from a fair number that that was really his only option. So, well, I mean, the way arbitration works is both sides go in way off a fair number. Like that's the player files way over what they're going to end up at. The team comes in way under, and that's that's why it gets uncomfortable because mm-hmm. if Swayman files at Swayman filed at four point eight million, which he just he wasn't going to get off of you know, a good season, but one where he was the one B, he still was not a true number one. So even though the Bruins might know, okay, this is going to end up around 3.5. Well, the only way to get to 3.5 is for them to come in. If Swayman's a million and a half over 1.3 over or whatever, the Bruins have to come that much under. That's the only way you get settled in the middle. So the Bruins have to file at 2 million or, you know, somewhere around there. And then the way arbitration works is you have to go in and argue for why he's only a $2 million goalie. You don't, you don't go in and argue, here's why we should settle in the middle. You have to argue for your exact position. So when they file at $2 million, knowing that the arbitrator is probably going to settle in the middle at three and a half, they then have to compare him to other $2 million goalies. And they also have to explain why he's not a three or four or $4.8 million goalie. And so it's, this is why no one likes going to arbitration because at, you have to argue something you know isn't true. The Bruins know Jeremy Swayman was not a $2 million goalie, but in order to get to that number in the middle, that's what they have to argue. Like that's how the process plays out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, 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 my first thought is like, what is he referring to that? Like, a player should never have to hear or hearing things he shouldn't have, you know, he didn't want to hear. It's like, cause the, you look at Swayman's numbers prior to the season, um, 2020, 2021, he played 10 games, seven and three, um, 1.5 goals against average, nine, four, five save percentage, uh, 21, 22, 41 games, um, 2.41 goals against average, uh, nine, nine, one, four save percentage last year, 37 games, 2.27 goals against average, 920 save percentage. Like, what could they possibly even say against him that's that bad when you have those numbers? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the two, like, $2 million is so, like, insultingly low. To have to argue that is what he's worth. I don't even know where you even begin with that. Like, if someone was was... I'm trying to like put myself in that situation. Obviously we don't have contracts like that. We don't have to sit in a room and have our boss be like, you actually suck. So we're only going to pay you half what you wanted. Um, uh, I'm sure. Just, just wait for your next podcast negotiation, Bridget. I, oh I, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing through the grapevine that it's, it's not going to be pretty. I'm testing the market. But, um. but, but the, uh, but even then, like the, the numbers, like, his numbers, they can't even, they, they can't even, that's what I'm trying to say. If you're, 
what if you're for the the Bruins side, like like what can you even possibly say without objectively being like the numbers are telling you straight up I'm a elite goaltender. So what were they saying that he, he didn't want to hear? Like he splits the load with all marks, so he's, they don't know if like, what could they have possibly said to him to to work that number down that insulted him so much. I don't know. It's not really subjective. Yeah, it, He's objectively a great goalie. I mean, a big part of it is the comparison. So it's probably them, again, throwing out $2 million goalies that they're saying, well, look, this guy has yeah, you want kind me of to similar numbers some? through this age. And Swayman's going, you're, you're comparing me to that guy? Really? Like, after everything I've Yeah, well, done, let, me, like- let me list some of the guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So at $2 million or just above $2 million, we have Dan Vladar. We have, and the funny thing is in these contracts, some of them, their, their pictures are just like a face, like a, an empty face. Like does, they don't even have a, a photo in the NHL. Um, Connor Ingram, Casey DeSmith, Pavel Fransu, Kevin Lankinen. Cam Talbot. Ingram and DeSmith actually having really good seasons, oddly enough. Yeah, but that's that's I'm just listing who's yeah. in that range. Uh some of these guys I don't even really know. Um and then there are other guys that are under the number that I'm like, okay, those guys are decent. But I mean, if they're saying that Dan Vladar should have more money than Jeremy Swayman somewhere in the league, that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Right. And, and again, I would just circle back to that's the nature of arbitration is you have to argue things that are ridiculous. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a broken process. It's why no one wants to go through it because if the Bruins came in and said, well, okay, we, we know he's actually, you know, we're going to come closer to the 3.5 million that we think he's worth. And we'll file at three because we don't want to be too mean. Well, you know what that means? That means Jeremy Swayman's getting four because now four million is the middle. And with the Bruins cap situation, that means trading someone away. They would not have been able to afford Swayman for $4 million without trading someone else away. So I, yeah, like it sucks taking a young player to arbitration. That's not how you want things to go, but I actually don't really blame the Bruins or Don Sweeney. Like they, I've said it before, but they had to play hardball last summer because of their cap situation. Now, to push this forward, where I think it gets interesting is if if they work with Swayman in good faith and they agree to 
a longer term extension with a sizable raise, which clearly he deserves now, then it all ends up being water under the bridge and you move forward together. Where things really get sticky is if you end up in a situation where you find yourself playing hardball with him again, or you're way apart in negotiations and things drag on into the summer and you start moving towards like, oh my God, are they going to go to arbitration again? Because he is arbitration eligible again. That's where I think things could really go south. And we might be talking about Swayman potentially moving on and looking at another team. So, well, yeah, he said, he said he's not doing it again. So I feel like it's not an option. Like it, it technically it is an option, but, but in this situation, it's not really if the player isn't willing to do it. Well, again. it it would be if the Bruins play hard. I think another thing that's clear is that Swayman's not taking discounts. Like he's he clearly believes in himself and believes in what he sees as his value. So if the Bruins were to lowball him or not offer what he thinks is fair it would still be one of the only tools he has to fight for himself. So, you know, he's still a restricted free agent. There's, there's only so much you can do. Like you can't, you can't test the open market yet. So, but uh, so if you're the Bruins and your end goal is that Jeremy Swayman is your long-term goalie, like this is the goalie of the future. This is the guy you want for, for the next however many years. Um, don't you think it makes more sense to go in before it ever reaches that point and sign him to like a four-year contract that doesn't require negotiating terrible, uh, you know, terribly so far off that you guys are, are at each other's throats thinking the other person's crazy. So it would make so much more sense if the, if that's the Bruins plan to have them long-term that they get it done before the end of the season and they don't have to even, doesn't have to worry about it because clearly it's still in the back of his mind. So just, just get it done. Or um, front of his you, mind. I mean, yeah, he mentions it two sentences into talking about being an all-star. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he's, maybe that this is like a little, you know, tell that maybe there's their conversations either aren't happening or maybe, you know, it's on his mind for a specific reason. Um, Time-wise, I don't know. Like, does that mean they're not having those negotiations yet that they're like that Soyman's happy with currently? Who knows? So I don't mean to move on from the Swayman conversation. We can certainly go back to it. Um, but I do want to I want to jump back to Bridget's opening opening shift because um I honestly, to an extent, I kind of feel bad for the officials in the NHL. And I agree with everything that, that Bridget was ranting about, but I feel like they're a product. You kind of said, is it the system failing them? I think it is. And I think here's the problem. I think that, uh, well, it's been a long time now, but way back in 2000 and um, was it 05, 06 after the lockout, they implemented all those new, you know, tic-tac rules because they wanted they wanted to bolster the NHL product for the mass audiences domestically and, and, and elsewhere. And they wanted, and they thought that the best way to do that was we need more offense, more offense in the game. So how do we do that? More power plays. So whatever, 15, 16, 17 years ago, they did, they implemented these new rules, rule changes where 
essentially everything is a penalty. Like everything's a hook. Every we 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 all know this, right? But it gets tricky because if if you're a ref out in an NHL game right now, and and I don't think college implements they don't college isn't that ticky tacky with their rule book. The NHL is so these so these officials they have to watch the game at ice level that's moving fast, and it's impossible. It would be wonderful if they could always see right in front of the, the penalty taking place. But when you're looking at the, the the game happening around you, sometimes you're looking at it from the side of players. Sometimes you're looking at it from the behind and, and you're relying on like the body movements of, of the person getting hooked or tripped and you, and you're hoping that it's, it's legit, but they're embellishing and it's tough to tell. And the game happens so fast that they, yeah, they end up misidentifying a lot of calls and they don't even know <laughs> When, when, when the NHL tells their officials, hey, guys, pretty much everything's a penalty, that's not helping them. It doesn't help them at all. It's like the, the stick has to be perpendicular. The, the ref sitting there with a, with a protractor, like trying to – it's too tough for them. I really do feel – and I think if the rules are going to be this excessive, maybe if you're a ref, it's like unless you see it with your own eyes right in front of you, like – don't call anything, but but then you're gonna have people calling for your head when you don't see something and it is a penalty and you don't call it. I just think it's a the, yeah. I think the system has made it very tough for them to to succeed at the highest level, and I get pissed off at them as much as the next person. But if I were in their in their skates, I, I'd probably suck too. It, there's so much. There's so many opportunities to be the bad guy. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, and and it's a it's a much faster game than college, so that's another huge factor is things are just happening a lot quicker. So yeah, I, I think we've gone even beyond like the changes after the 0405 lockout, because a lot of those rules at the time, I think were necessary. Like things had gotten gone too way too far in terms of the clutching and grabbing being allowed, where it was like a guy would chip a puck in and a defender would ride him off like 15 feet towards the boards. And it's like, you can't even like chip around a defenseman in that case. So, um, you know, or like guys would get away with legit slashes on hands or legit hooks. And so like a lot of that stuff I was for at the time and, and still am like, I still don't want guys getting away with what they got away with in the nineties, but it's definitely, there's just situations where it goes too far. And the one in particular that I just see a lot this year is it's like every little bit of stick work is a penalty. Like if you make any contact with the body, it's a penalty. And that, I feel like there should be a much more leeway than there's been. And the Marchand slash on Saturday is, is a good example where it's like he's engaged in a one-on-one battle there's stick work going both ways and Marshan's stick for a split second rides up to the glove and like barely makes contact. And now it's a slash because he got the guy in the gloves. And it's like, that's like anyone watching that doesn't think that's a slash. Like think about what you imagine a slash to be. And it's not a love tap on the gloves. Like that's, that's where they, they kind of lose me. There was, I remember there was one a couple weeks ago or maybe even like a week ago where Grizzlick's battling for position in front of the net and he like just barely gets his stick into the guy's midsection and it's a hook. And it's like, 
The guy didn't even move or change his body direction in any way, but Grizzly's stick like touched his stomach, so it's a hook, and it and it's just like how are you supposed to battle in front of the net if you can't make any contact with your stick? And that's that's the one above all else that that really bothers me right now is that every tiny little bit of stick work is a penalty. Yeah, and you want to know what? It's that in combination with they see uh, they see that little stuff every time it happens, right? And, and it's it's stupid. It's not really impeding the play. It's it's whatever. And then they get wrong the ones that are really important in terms of head injuries, in terms of really bad um, checks that you're trying to get out of the game. So you see them calling and blowing the whistle for something that's like a little tap um, on the stick, and then they're not uh, giving the right amount of time or no penalty at all when Frederick gets slashed in the face as hard as possible or, um, you know, someone finishes a check into the boards and it should be a a game misconduct and it's like either two minutes or not called at all. Like, if you're going to call the little nothing taps of the stick, then you then you definitely have to call the really big collisions that are dangerous to the sport and the players. And like you said, Brian, it, it is the system. You want to know how you can tell it's the system, not the individual refs. It happens in every ref crew. It happens throughout the league in, in every game. Doesn't really matter what specific ref it is. It is completely across the board just how the game has been officiated this year, which means they're not, they're not getting the right direction. Maybe this is how they want them to call it for whatever reason. It doesn't feel like that's a great decision. If this is, if they're, if they're happy with the product of the officiating this season, then I have even more questions. Like, I don't know how anyone could look at this and go, yeah, that was done correctly. This year has been great. Um, I feel like, and I don't know who this person is, who is the head of NHL officiating and like, what is the, what is it that they're doing? The annoying thing, and this has always been the issue, fans, broadcasters, all of us, the transparency is just not here. So Mm. like, I don't know where in the chain of command this is going wrong. And I don't know what's being done to correct it. Like we just don't have that information. So when, when I did get a chance to kind of hear the college hockey side of it, because I had about a 50 minute uh, conversation with the head of hockey East of it officiating. It helped me so much um, in terms of my broadcast, being able to explain what the idea was, what the process was, what they're looking for. Why isn't that available to us at the NHL level? It's a good question. And yeah, like to your point, you know, it's not the individual ref because necessarily because it's, it's consistently poor across, across every game, every night. It's, it's inconsistent and and yeah it's like you're so they're so fixated on calling like because because the whole point of them calling these stick infractions in the in in the in the you know if it's parallel to your gloves whatever they're the nhl whatever whoever it is they would tell you bridget they would say well our goal is to you know penalize a player that that you know um uh, impedes a scoring opportunity and and if somebody has a, the puck on their sticks and, the, and somebody has their stick in their hands they think that's a, that's a hook and that's that's impeding a scoring chance but but the problem is like it's very seldom that somebody actually hooks somebody and it doesn't impede the, pl- the person with the puck like most most hooks that get called the person with the puck will probably be like yeah like I, that, I didn't even feel it i didn't even know that that was happening um so but also when these refs are out there 
and this has been true for uh, forever. It's not just any new rules, but when you're a ref on the ice, people think that like the first thing that's on a referee's mind or a linesman linesman's mind is like what's going on in the ice. The first thing that's on your mind actually is not interfering with the course of play, like not being in the way of players. So like that the game moves fast and they have their specific areas of where they have to go. And like, it's, but like, if you're a ref out there, you're trying to not interfere with the actual game. You're trying to get out of players way. And then you're also looking for, you know, set infractions, but yeah, like to sit, to, to be so anal about all these hooking calls and then like see all these, um, you know, hit, hit from behind, just like it's, it's ass backwards, honestly. Uh, I feel like maybe, yeah, the game, honestly, the game was pleased better, Scott, back in the day. Like, because if you, if you let X amount go and then it's easy to call what's just completely obvious, but yeah. Yeah. Stephen Walkham is the director of officiating, by the way, for, former ref himself, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've ranted about the, the hits from behind and boardings plenty, so I won't reiterate that, but needless to say, I'm, I'm with you guys on like, just seems like the priorities are in the wrong place where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're cutting down on extremely minor stick infractions that aren't hurting anyone. And to Brian's point, barely impede the play. And then we have like all this gray area around hits that can actually hurt guys. And it's, that you have a chance to review and yeah. somehow they still get it wrong. I, unfortunately guys, I, and I, I posed the question to you and I don't, I don't think there's a clear answer. There's there's no real solution. The only solution is have a feel for the game. But a lot of these officials played hockey at a high level and like like they do know the game. They should. So it's like I don't know. I, I don't really do you guys have any suggestions on, on what yeah, this is? Yeah, well, I know I know what Hockey East does. They basically you have to take a test every every week or every other week. You see a video of a missed call and a correct call and you have to go through and say this one was right this one was wrong like it's like a quiz that you have to take like you're in school like would say there's 10 different videos and you have to say which one was correct and which one was incorrect it's a repetition of seeing it and not having it be about you specifically like it's somebody else that you know made this call and it's just an example of either the right or wrong way to do it. And it's repetition, repetition, repetition. This is what we want. This is what we don't want. And it it's drilled in throughout the entire season. And I, I think the NHL does stuff like that. Like, I know they send reviews to officiating crews of, you know, calls they got right, calls they got wrong. I, I just think it's a league-wide emphasis that's in, in the wrong place. Like, I, I'm not sure they're sending that slashing call against Marsha and saying, this is the wrong call. I think they're directing refs to colony contact, like stick on gloves. And so to me, it's, it's the standard, like my issue is more the standard being set at the league level than even refs are always going to be inconsistent. They're always going to miss calls. As, as I said before, it's just too fast of a game. Like there's just going to be missed calls. It's part of the game. My problem is with the standard, which seems to be that, any stick on any part of the body is a penalty. Yeah, and and they're, and they're, the reason that they have these standards is because they want offense, because they think that offense markets the league better. But what they don't understand is like any too much of anything in life just it just gets diluted, and like the, and the 
it loses value. Like if you have, if, if you constantly have seven, six games or, you know, no one's going to care anymore. People are going to get used to all the offense and it's no longer going to be appetizing for people. Like what you, what you want is you want a good competitive product. I mean, you don't want, you know, zero, zero, you know, one, nothing games all the time, but to have, to put the emphasis solely on scoring, to just do more, 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 more scoring opportunities. Eventually people will get used to all that scoring and it won't be the, it's not, there's no net effect anymore. So, I think that's why the league is is where it is because you know Gary Bettman they just want they want scoring, that's what I think. But uh, well, okay, so. I mean, I almost can't even blame them because like you've seen it work for the NFL and NBA. They've made rule changes that have led to more offense, and their popularity keeps increasing. Yeah. So you know, the I, NBA, the NBA is a, the difference here. The NBA is for the most part a non-contact league, so. There, there's a lack of physicality that that can be part of the game too to make up for a lack of scoring. F- football, you're right for sure. Well, I, I mean, but even the NBA, like Dave, you used to be able to get away with like a lot more defending, especially in the low post, than you can now. Where it, it's almost like hockey, where it's like any contact on a guy driving to the rim is a foul. And college basketball yes. officiating is so much better than the NBA. Yes, and guess when I stopped watching basketball as much. When they change the rules, I freaking hate how many fouls there are. It's like, it, it's insane. It's like, they get right. it wrong. So I wouldn't say comparing the NHL to the NBA is a good thing to do because they're, the main reason why I have a hard time watching the NBA is because I think the officiating is bad and I think they get it wrong a lot. And I think it's really, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, officiating sucks in all sports. Like I don't disagree at yeah, all. But, that, but the but NBA st- is like up there in terms of, I can't even watch it sometimes. Right. I'm like, but st- statistically for, for every one of you that stopped watching, there's probably been five more people who are watching. So yeah, stupid. I don't like, I just don't like that basketball culture where it's like you get rewarded for, like pretending you got hit, like diving and doing it. It's frustrating. It's not hockey. I think it, what happens is when you have people who are used to hockey and you watch that, it's very difficult to be like, okay, how am I supposed to enjoy this when they call every flop a foul? Like, you, and you can't tell. And once again, it's, you know, it happens fast, whatever. We're not going to go on a rant about the officiating mm. in the NBA. Um, but I, you know, I have my own rant. I'll keep it. Well, off there. there was, there was another, um, polarizing missed call last night that had people up in arms uh, on the St. Louis side. And, you know, here's another example. It was, it was overtime. David Pat, I forget who it was for St. Louis, maybe Robert Thomas, but um, he's going through the neutral zone and Pashnak quote unquote trips him. But was, if you watch Cairo, it was a Cairo. Yeah. So if you watch the replay, it's like Pashnak didn't move at all. He like his stick and his body were standing still. So it's like, where is he supposed? Is he supposed to drop his? Like, I'm not arguing that like the the, the St. Louis player didn't end up getting tripped, but like a a passionate passionate did not change his course of direction. Like this, the the St. Louis player skated into his stick, and it's like, buddy, like I don't know, like you can only control so much out there. Like how 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 is somebody supposed to get penalized for just being? He like passionate was just being in that situation, and so I don't necessarily if that's what the ref saw in that situation, I might agree with them actually. Like. Kairu skated into the situation. Yeah, I think, I guess the frustration would be that, like, kind of based on the standard of that game where everything seems to be getting called, you would think that's a call. You know, like I said, they got they got the interference call against Lindholm, where it was similar, where, like, Lindholm doesn't move. He just gets skated into, and it's a penalty. To me, that, that kind of 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And like this, I guess this is one problem where I will blame refs, not the league, is the changing of standard late in the game where like Boquist gets hooked with under three minutes left in regulation. That's not going to get called, even though that was a penalty earlier in the game. Kairou trips over Pasenek's stick in overtime, but it doesn't get called because we're in overtime, I guess. Like, I've never been a fan of that. I know some people are. They say, you know, put the whistles away in crunch time. To me, that just means you allow guys to get away with penalties in crunch time. So I don't like that. Um, I get the Blues' frustration. I just have zero sympathy for them because I think they got the better of the officiating mistakes in this game overall. And also, I think there was a pretty famous trip that the Blues once got away with against the Bruins. Um, So I'm not going to – no, no Shears Ted for – Shears Ted. No tears – Shit. Get, out, get out of here, Ted. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no. Sh- I mean, actually, Shears, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that was Billy Shears' brother in the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. No oh, tears no, shed. No tears you know, shed. <laughs> you know, that's sometimes we, we record like really late at night, but it's the middle of the day, so I don't know where yeah. I don't know where that came from. Hey, this oh, is no. why I'm I'm a writer by nature, not a talker. <laughs> It's okay. Um, <laughs> I I'm a, I'm paid to talk and I still mess it up. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all I know is one of the best hockey games I think I've ever watched um, was that Bruins Tampa game, game seven with no penalties. Obviously that's not realistic, but just, you know, the game, letting the game happen the way it should. And anyway. Um, okay. So yeah. Officiating bad. All right. Any other uh, storylines? I mean, I, I did want to touch on, uh, Charlie McAvoy getting two goals. Um, I think he's up to what's he got? Uh, Fifth and six goals, I believe. That was five and six. Yeah, so he's got twenty. Yep, six goals, twenty-eight points in thirty-four games. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about how he that doesn't seem to be himself completely uh, consistently this year. But I I would beg to ask the question. He's probably on pace for a career high in points, Scott. Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but I'm gonna guess that's pretty close to being true. Yeah, you're our you're our mathematician, so get on it. Our stats guy, our, our analytics yep. guy. It's because yes, Brian boss. and I forgot math. Yes, <laughs> I'm on it, boss. Um, but in any event, like you know, him getting him getting going again. Um, he had a few quiet games leading up to St. Louis in the point department, so important for him to get to find the back of the net, not just piling up. He's he, he's primarily an assist producer when it comes to points so for him to get find the back of the net i think is uh important you can see it, it meant a lot to him he had some emotion yeah and yes he, he is on a career high pace he's uh his point eight two points per game is a career high right now slightly ahead of 0.78 last year um his career because he missed so much time last year his career high in points was actually 56 the year before and he's on pace for like around 60 right now. Um, Yeah, he was, he was definitely, it was 
the obviously scoring in overtime is clutch. So when you, when you can get him to contribute in, in those kind of situations, obviously he's not going to be a, a goal scorer every game. I, like you said, it's, it's his sixth goal of the season. They're not expecting it from him. Uh, they more expect the distributing assists and whatnot. But that was a really clutch, important goal. And it changes the outcome of the road trip from being, you know, if they lose that game, what are we talking about today? We're talking about why can't they win a game in overtime? Like it, it, it would have just continued this stretch of, you know, watching them almost be able to win a regulation and then not being able to pull it off. And it would have ended in them only getting half of the points on the road trip. Now, at least they come home with a little bit better than uh, 50% of the points. So they come back with five out of eight, which, um, and the narrative is a little bit different because they, they finally found a way to win in overtime. Whereas Brian, you weren't here for our last episode, but Scott and I spent a long time talking about how, like, just what is the issue? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I know a lot of people were, were criticizing um, the Marshan Pasternak, uh, you know, miscommunication and coverage on the Vegas overtime goal, or was that Colorado? No, I think it was Vegas. That was Vegas. Vegas, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think you know, three on three, it's it's like it's a it's a shit show. Like it, it's pawn hockey, and and you know, it's easy to sit there and be like, yeah, you know, stay on your guy, but I just don't put a lot of stock in it because you lose. Okay, yeah, like so. The question is, why can't they win in in, in extra time in the regular season? Well, it's like both formats are irrelevant when it comes down to the, to, to the springtime. It's like, okay, they can't yeah. win in a shootout or they can't win on three and three Well, in the playoffs it's five on five until someone scores. So, well, I said that to Scott, I said <laughs> pretty lucky that that three on three isn't the standard in the playoffs. Cause the Bruins wouldn't be making it very far uh, in the playoffs for sure. If, if three on three was uh, the way that that played out uh, in the postseason. but luckily for them and everyone else, it's not um, there. Yeah. There's a Obviously, it means more if like you're actually fighting for a playoff spot where every point's going to matter. And I guess if you're the Bruins, it, it matters if you care. You know, are you going to be first or second in the division? Like, do you want? It looks like that two-three matchup is going to be against Toronto. Whoever, you know, whichever one doesn't win the division out of Boston, Florida. So I don't know. Do you do you fear Toronto significantly more than? Wild card choice X, which obviously we have no idea of predicting exactly which teams those are going to be right now because it's all jumbled together. But to me, like I'm not, I'm actually not super concerned about that. I don't think, especially like say you ended up in a wild card matchup against Carolina, who I don't think it'll be Carolina because I think they're going to climb enough in the uh, Metro Division to avoid a wild card spot, but. Even New Jersey, like that, that's a good team that just hasn't gotten goaltending. And it's like, I don't know, maybe Vanacek gets hot for a series or maybe they trade for a goalie. Like, I don't know that you're setting yourself up for like a significantly easier matchup by winning the division. So I'm sort of with you. And like, I don't, it's random and I don't really care all that much that they've been bad in overtime. But, you know, you, you do want to win win sometimes and just that's why Saturday was obviously important. Like they were two and nine in overtime before Saturday. So um and you know at least winning at some point is good. Like you don't wanna you don't want to truly be awful where you're just losing every time you go to overtime. 
Three and nine still isn't that good. Yeah, it's better than two and ten, Bridget. It, it, it is better than that. Thank you for helping us with that math. Um, there were a few other things I wanted to get to quick that we Bridget, haven't talked. Before you do, just can you no? hold that thought real quick, real quick? Maybe um, I just want I just wanted to follow up on what Scott was just saying. Right now, the four the four wild card the, the four teams right now that are battling for the wild card spots are Tampa, the Islanders the Devils, and the Red Wings. And, like, it's not like you own any one of those teams necessarily. I mean, the Red Wings play you tough. And they're like, and then, obviously, the, the division is Toronto and Florida. So it's just – it's tough no matter what. It's just about how, how well you're playing at the right time. Yeah. Um, so my – just a few little notes that we didn't get a chance to talk about. So, um, like, the injuries, which are obviously important. So uh, – all three players didn't play in the final game of the road trip. All Mark Patra and Carlo uh, Zaka was out with illness as well. So the lines were shuffled up a bunch in the St. Louis game and continued to shuffle throughout the night, unsurprisingly. Um, but a really positive thing was that all Mark was on the ice for morning skate and has still, you know, stuck with the team throughout the road trip, which means he, it wasn't something as serious as it looked like. To start now when we'll see him we're not sure the timeline now that they're coming back home we'll have um more opportunities to to actually speak with coaches and players and um probably get a bit more information on what's going on with him but in, in terms of a timeline but super positive to see him actually in gear on the ice not having to completely sit out and rest like he if he's good enough to to skate around on the ice a little bit during morning skate and, and take some reps, then, you know, he's, he's close to being a hundred percent. Cause otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't put him in that situation. Yeah. And he, he talked to reporters in St. Louis after that morning skate and said that imaging came back clean, which obviously is big news. Uh, very good news. Um, you know, he basically said like, certainly doesn't feel as bad as he initially thought right when it happened. Um, Obviously also wishes he felt better than he does, but it certainly sounds like any sort of serious injury has been avoided, which, which is great. Um, Carlo will have to miss at least one more game while he's on injured reserve. So we'll see where he's at after that. Zaka, you assume, you know, I mean, he was considered a game time decision already. So you assume that's not going to linger. Uh, he was not on the ice for warmups, but I think, that was probably like, all right, he's still feeling the effects. Just keep him out, like give him the day. Um, Potter, we don't really know. The last we heard was day to day, but, you know, we'll see if that lingers. But all of this is another reason why I think you end up feeling not great, but you, you feel fine after this road trip. Um, because, yeah, you lose three out of four, but – you get five out of eight points and you did it with all these guys out of the lineup and all this shuffling. Um, and ultimately I think like, it feels like a trip where you kind of just take a deep breath at the end of it. And you're like, phew, we got through it. Like we didn't, we didn't truly go own four. We got points. You know what? We're still in first place. Now, now we're going to go home for a bit and like, great. We, we can get some guys healthy and, and move on. Yeah. And, and you don't feel like 
the injuries were, you know, so much that they're going to be super long-term and hurt the team. Uh, and you look back on this road trip and be like, oh, that's, that was when the season ended because X, Y, Z got hurt for uh, several months or whatever. So that, that has been avoided. It looks like, um, you also got some, pr- some pretty decent play out of quite a few players. Um, and Bofus has been a happy surprise on this road trip. He's kind of had his chance to shine playing on the first line again. Uh, well, at least to start, they changed the lines a lot, like I mentioned, but the first line was Bofus geeky pasta <laughs> to start the St. Louis game because Zaka wasn't there. So Bofus back on the first line. Um, Marshawn had two goals as well, not just McAvoy. And I don't want to like overlook the fact that he finally got his 900th point. They thought that he had it a few games ago, because, uh, th- but they took the assist away. But now he, he got to that 900th point, which is a big milestone for him as well. Yeah, and I love I love that first goal too. Um, you're right, Bridget. Like that's that's Mark. You need, we talked about it in the past when he was kind of slumping a little bit, relatively speaking. And they need him too. Um, and I love that everything about that first goal. Uh, Coyle, DeBrusque, Marshan, all getting their nose dirty and. You know, it's it's an elite finish and tight by Marshan to go to go short side top shelf right there, um, that quickly. But it all so yes, there's finesse there, but it's nothing but but hard work before then. And DeBrus getting in there, coiled, creating the turnover, and and yeah, um, yeah, that was a an impressive game for him as well. Yeah. By the way, Bridget, you mentioned like all the line shuffling, the lines landed up on like we're really good like those are the lines that ended up dominating in the second and third period and just to uh put some numbers to it over here in uh, advanced stats corner so first line they load up with martian coil pastanak shot attempts when they were on the ice at five on five ten to four bruins i don't know i guess you can call this the second line maybe heinen frederick debrusque shot attempts when they were on the ice 13 to two bruins Third line, I guess, Van Riemsdyk, Bokvis, Geeky. Shot attempts when they were on the ice, 11-1 to 1 Bruins. Like, they kind of just stumbled into these mid-game lines that all clicked and were just taking over. And um, really interested to see what they roll out Monday. You know, Zaka might be back in, so that changes things. But, yeah, um, yeah that, was, that was – you look at those combinations on paper and you're like, outside of – Marshall and Cole Pasternak, like, what are these lines? And, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It worked. Yeah, it worked because, I mean, you're missing two centers, which is never good. Um, and, and so usually that cause, causes some creativity uh, to figure out what you're going to do. But Trent Frederick being able to play center once again came in clutch and, and helped them out. So you get that Heinen Frederick DeBrusque line that, like you said, I'm pretty sure I would call that the second line um, in terms of what they were working with. So uh, Frederick doing a little bit of everything on the road trip. He, I think he had another strong stretch too. So some positives to take out of it, five points to take out of it. And now they're coming back home from Monday. And, and, you know, you do have a tough slate, slate of games here heading into the all-star break. And just to rattle off um, those opponents, you come, you play the devils on, is it Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a matinee at the garden. And then you have, the Avalanche at home and the Canadians at home, and then the Winnipeg Jets, who you have a chance to kind of right the wrong of your first game against them. But they're also, I think, if not right now, they were first in the, in the NHL. Um, so they're playing really they were well. On a, they were on a decent winning streak. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the, the Jets kind of remind me of the Bruins a little bit in the sense of like, well, maybe not the Bruins, but, but in the sense that people kind of wrote them off before this season, the, the, the Winnipeg has had some, you know, some coaching issues, um, some leadership issues. And, you know, before the season started, we were talking about, you know, are they selling, you know, Shifley? Are they selling uh, Hellebuck? Like, and here they are just playing a solid, solid um, brand of hockey right now. We saw they, that. They trade traded away Dubois. And right. Right. Right now. It looks like they probably won that deal. I think, I think, Velarde might be hurt right now, but he was playing well for them. And Dubois has been good for LA, but like not dominant by any means. Mm. Then you have, uh, you have, is it our, our first look at Carol? Is this our first look at Carolina, Ottawa, and Philly all year? Have we played Ottawa yet? Uh, I definitely don't think they played Carolina. And they haven't played the Flyers. No. So, and then you have the all-star break. So, you know, pretty fun slate of games here, I think, to, to watch. Yeah, that the Monday yeah, 1 that, p.m. That is games, the first for all of those, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's a holiday Monday, so um, got an early game, which uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not usually a huge fan of the 1 p.m. games, but we'll be there. Um, and I have, like, a coach's call, like, mid-game that I'm going to have to, like, sneak out into. <laughs> but uh, because shameless – plug uh the first day of the bean pot is tuesday for the women's bean pot so um i'll be at harvard broadcasting those two games um the day the day after so and then the following week uh the following tuesday is really the big day the championship game at td garden so that's going to be that'll be exciting so the, um, the the pre the semifinal games are at harvard yeah yeah i've never actually broadcast a game there but which is weird because i I've been to so many rinks in New England, but I've never done a game there. So this will be the first time. And uh, I don't know how it's going to be, though, because you broadcast from behind the net. You don't broadcast from center ice like a normal where a normal booth would be set up. So I'm going to have to really hope my vision is as good as I Do you have a monitor. Do you have like a TV I, monitor? I will have a monitor. That is actually what I was asking some of the normal broadcasters about. It's like, does it just make more sense for me to just like look at the monitor when the puck's on the opposite end of the ice? But yeah. I don't like to do that, but it's Not it's easy. gonna be an adjustment. Yeah. Um, I wish I had like a, a day or two to like a game or two that I could have gone up there and, and kind of figured it out beforehand, but uh no, that'll be Tuesday. Yeah, I was like, like I like the vantage point of being behind the net because you can like see plays develop. Like I've told the story before that game seven against Tampa that Brian referenced earlier in the press box. I was like directly behind the goal, so it was like especially seeing that winning goal by Horton. Like the way it developed from that angle was was mm. cool. But I can definitely see why for a broadcaster it is not ideal because especially if it's like a, either an attacking player or a defending player is you're only seeing their front. Mm-hmm. Like you might go an entire shift without seeing their number and like that. Yep. Yeah. You just see like yeah, the logo hard to on the front just says Harvard. Like how, yeah. anyway, I'm going to have to figure that out. Um, <laughs> wish me luck. <laughs> it's luck. like, it's like, I don't know why, but I feel like for some reason this bean pot, I've, I'm like putting a lot of pressure on myself to do a good job. And I need to like, let my, like take the pressure off and just be like, just do what you do. But, um, yeah, it's kind of scary because I'm like I, I'm in charge of the ship, and I don't know if I want to be like I, I'm the play-by-play person. I have to like lead us in all these directions, and I'm like, 
now that I'm doing color for the PWHL, I'm like, I kind of like just hanging out, <laughs> just, just filling in, you know, some, some thoughts yeah. uh, every once in a while. Oh, you'll do a great job. We all know that. So yeah, that'll <laughs> be fun. That'll be great. Um, yeah. who's, who's winning the women's bean pot this year, Bridget? Who's, who's the favorite? Oh, I know what you want me to say. <laughs> well, yeah, but it hasn't been BU for a while. I feel like usually, I feel like Northeastern's been the Northeastern is good, right? Team. Yeah, Northeastern for the last down. few years. But yeah, this year down. They're down because they lost their entire top line. Yeah, and they all went on to play professionally, and they're like the best players in their program's history. So yeah, it's tougher for them this year. Uh honestly, I think whoever wins the first game, the BCBU game, probably wins the whole thing. Harvard's on a really down year. Um, they lost their two best players as well. So uh, I feel like it's either going to be BC or BU, and they're playing each other in the, the very first game that we have. So um, that's a kind of a cop-out answer, but those are the two best teams in the tournament, I think. Uh, BC's in first place right now, but BU's not far behind. So Battle of Com Ave. Battle of Com Ave, right. yep. Go Terriers. And, and I was going to say, and he, he wanted me to say – be you so yeah all right be you works by the way shut on the women's hockey front uh pwhl boston got their first win on saturday overtime in, over, in overtime up in montreal yeah that's awesome so oh, that always... that that rivalry with montreal getting going always great to beat <laughs> montreal right yeah so um... i think i think that we're good um do you guys have anything else that you want to get off your chest the shortest no. fashion segment ever those okay. jerseys the blues wore those should just be their permanent home jerseys what what are we doing yeah. like, don't don't overthink this i thought you were going to comment on the uh the nhl debuting their all-star jerseys oh yeah we, which oh, yeah. you know when i first looked at them i thought i was looking at a couple of gushers at first um <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I saw a lot of people hating on them um I mean, they're not like they're not crisp. Like I, I like the ones last year. I think it was last year, the day before. I, I like the '90s. Like when they used to have the All Star jerseys in the '90s and the late '80s. I just like those a lot. Um, but I, I kind of I might like these ones better than some of the. I don't know. I, I haven't looked too much into them, Scott. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I kind of like them. Like, they're different, All-Star, right? All Star jerseys don't need to be like actually great jerseys. It's it's a silly gimmicky game. Uh, it, you know, I don't know. Have some fun with it. They're yeah. they're fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't. They're unique. You know. Yeah. I don't know how many. Yeah, they're on. they're kind of. I am I looking at the right ones? They're kind of meh. They're very they're very cartoon. They just have a huge star. On yeah, them. yeah. They're 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 kind of just meh. Like it, it's very cartoony. It looks one like color. Went like to the yellow art. ones are just yellow and black. Like. Yeah. Nothing not special. Everyone. Everyone can play Mario Party in their in them after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Justin, they're, they're, they're not Justin great, Bieber but. out here modeling them, and they still don't look good. <laughs> so uh, they they yeah, look, they look very cartoony, but honestly, like sometimes sometimes uh, they those those looks grow on you. I mean, here we are. Remember the last couple of years, all these reverse retros, and we're just we can't wait to see these the, all these '90s type jerseys come back, and I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like too, I'm neon. Not, yeah, I'm not too. Uh, I'm not, I'm not upset about these. I don't think they're amazing, but they're okay. Um, all right. Any any final thoughts, guys? No, nope, that's it for me. 
All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Have a great work week, and we will talk to you very soon.